Hello and welcome to Martian Driving Podcast 156. My name is Terry Frost and this time around I'm talking about two things. I'm going to deconstruct the announcements that Marvel have made about the Marvel Cinematic Universe Season 4. There was a big announcement at uh, San Diego Comic-Con and everybody shit themselves with delight and then asked who the hell are half of these people. Then I'm going to talk about Season 1 of a series that's turned up on Amazon Prime based on the Garth Ennis comics, The Boys, starring Carl Urban. So sit back, I'll get the contact details out of the way, and then we'll start geeking the hell out of comics. Martian Drive-In Podcast happens every two weeks. It's a podcast of science fiction, fantasy, and horror appreciation. Sometimes I have guests in, sometimes I'll have a roundtable. Sometimes it's just random particularly when there's a Netflix Marvel Cinematic Universe thing coming up. Feedback is the bread and butter of podcasting, so you can put feedback through at the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook. You can also email feedback to feedbackpaleo, P-A-L-E-O, at gmail.com. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com by going to patreon.com slash paleocinema. Uh, just be aware when you're listening to the podcast, there may be some naughty words in it. So if there are kids around, you might want to listen to it later on. Okay, how's everybody doing? Um, yeah, it's been winter, basically. It's been uh, nothing much really happening around here. I did talk about Blade Runner on ABC Radio this week to honour Rukahawa and kind of you know, came up with some interesting insights into Blade Runner. I'll just tell you what they are early. Um, so Rachel is a replicant, right? And she's about three or four years old. And yet Harrison Ford's character, Rick Deckard, Deckard slept with her. He slept with a three or four year old. And that's really problematic. The other thing is with the voight Kampf test that they use to test, um, the people to find out whether they're replicants. How do neurodiverse people handle the voight Kampf test? How do people on the um, autistic spectrum handle that? Nobody talks about that. It could be problematic again. So, yeah, it's just one of these little things I was thinking about while I was re-watching the movie. I come to the realisation that any movie above a certain age is going to have really what-the-fuck problematic things in it. It's just the nature of cinema and the nature of the way in which our society is evolving. The other thing that's happening here in the man cave, at least, is that I've got a new PC in here. Um, well, when I say new, it's my father-in-law's old tower PC, which I'm going to use as a Plex media server and kind of feed the media around the house with it. So I've been playing with that. I've got it on my second monitor here on the Man Cave desk. I can just switch between using it for the podcasting lap, uh, well, podcasting all-in-one machine or I can switch the um, display input into running it off the tower. So we'll see how that goes. So the Man Cave now officially has three PCs. The other one being an older all-in-one that I've got, which I'm running Mint Linux on it. So yeah, it's, it's getting very techy in here. There's not going to be any room for all the um, LPs and the reference books and all the other stuff I've got in here if I keep acquiring with no financial outlay apart from I had to get a VGA cable. But with no financial outlay, I'm going to end up with one of those crazy conspiracy guy walls of PCs and monitors that you see in rather bad B-grade movies where everybody gets like old CRT monitors and 
old TV sets and puts up an enormous wall where they can monitor everything that's going on in the world from their basement. It's going to end up like that if I'm not careful. So I'm going to kind of work it all out and, and make sure that I don't get any more for now. And I'm kind of glad that we're running solar panels on the house because it's going to help with the electricity load that this rather Byzantine setup is going to uh, pull. I should probably mention again uh, what I'm doing for this podcast. I'm looking at The Boys, the Amazon Prime series uh, of superhero antics, which is a little bit different and has kind of shocked and delighted a number of people. And then I'm looking at the announcements regarding Marvel Phase 4 which delighted and amazed me to the extent that the boys delighted and amazed other people. I really have embraced being a comic book geek. Uh, Not that I ever didn't embrace it, but I'm kind of very comfortable in it. There's always that backlash you get, though, with any phenomenon, particularly in pop culture, which goes crazy viral the way superheroes have. And you will get all those people going, oh, well, superhero burnout, blah, blah, blah. And I did a YouTube video about that, and no, there is no superhero burnout. There are certain people who don't want to watch certain kinds of movies, and that's perfectly okay. But the box office numbers really show that superhero burnout's just not happening to any great extent. As long as the story's good, the characters are good, the effects are good, and it gives us something we haven't seen before. A superhero franchise, whether it's on a streaming service, on terrestrial television, or in the cinema, is going to do well. It all comes down to basically the way you make it. I mean, superheroes work. Swamp Thing is good. Doom Patrol, I'm really looking forward to the second season of that. That's going to go over well. The Boys has got a second season as well. Just after it dropped, Amazon announced that they're doing a second season of that, so I'm happy about that as well. And the superhero genre, I've said this before, is like Westerns. Westerns are a broad canvas to tell stories. And superheroes are the same. And a lot of people just don't get that. And that's kind of interesting that they don't. They're not looking back at the history of cinema and the history of television, for that matter, and seeing that these stories are modern mythology. They're narratives about gods and monsters, to quote Dr. Pretorius. And I'm cool with that. It doesn't mean I'm not going to dive back into Kurosawa the way I've been doing recently. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to watch an Asian piece of cinema that my good friend Grant Watson recommends on his vlog, Fiction Machine. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. It means that amongst the mix, I'm going to have superhero narratives. And I'm really, really comfortable with that. The reassuring thing is that, of course, a lot of these things are coming from different players. Amazon's doing it. Netflix are doing it in various ways. Uh, Marvel, of course, and Disney are doing it. Smaller players like DC are doing it. Uh, the CW is doing it in America. Every, now, there, there are a lot of different voices coming at it from a lot of different directions. Australia did it a couple of years ago with an Indigenous theme with Clever Man. So there are just a ton of different viewpoints coming here. I'm waiting to see a few Afrofuturist super people who aren't made from a major American company like Marvel. Much as I loved Black Panther, I'm going to love Black Panther too. I'd love to see some stuff come out of South Africa or any of the other countries that have a film industry in Africa and just hear those voices. I want to see stuff from Central Asia. I want to see more Japanese superhero stuff. I want to see 
I want to see everybody's stuff. I want to see Scandinavian superheroes. I want to see French ones. I want to see German ones. I want to see Spanish and Portuguese and Brazilian and Argentinian. I'm there for the lot. I want, really want to do it. Netflix is doing a series at the moment called, I think, The Protector or something like that, which is a Turkish uh, twist on superheroes. I'm a few episodes in. I'm not sure if I'm going to stay with it, but that, that kind of diversity I like. I really want people to use that as a vessel to tell their stories. And why the fuck not? We have the technology now to tell superhero stories well. And that technology is quite democratic. Technically, and I've, I've kind of thought about this in the last week or so. Technically, if I chose to and if I could get people on board and if I had money and a few more lights, I could make a superhero movie with my DSLR and a few of the other cameras I've got with several hundred bucks worth of software on my laptop. And if I was good enough and the people working with me were good enough and the acting was good enough, it would play. You can do it. It's not an impossible ask for somebody at the grassroots to tell a decent superhero story. Chronicle proved that. So it's a really interesting time to be a comic book geek. I'll tell you the story about how I became a comic book geek, which is maybe of interest, it may not be, but what the fuck, it's my podcast. Um, When I was just going to school, like first times I was going to school by myself, and yes, children did go to school unaccompanied in their use. And I'd get, and this again dates me, I got 20 cents to buy a pie or a sandwich at the tuck shop for lunch. So instead of what I'd do is I'd go down to the corner shop, which no longer exists, sadly, and I would buy a comic book. I'd spend the 20 cents on a Superman comic. Now, Superman comics in Australia were released in kind of facsimile editions to the DC stuff. There was a company called Gordon & Gotch, which basically did black and white versions of the colour comics from America, and they'd whack two or three comics together, and you'd get like a 60-page comic for 20 cents or two shillings before the decimal currency came in. And I'd do that, and then I'd go home hungry, and then when mum got home, I'd tell her I was hungry, and she'd look in my school case, and there was a comic book. I mean, I knew what red and green kryptonite was before I knew what chlorophyll was. So, yeah, it hit me early. Um, The point I was making as well with the diversification is that I think that that diversity of viewpoints and that diversity of creative input is the kind of thing that and yeah i'm going to bash these guys again that i think that the star wars universe lacks and here's why it's going to be the same thing it's going to be either on planets or in space it's going to have the same bad guys going up against a ragtag bunch of rebels in some way and that's going to be it the the bad guys stay the same it's like you're having a superhero franchise where for 40 years Thanos is the bad guy. The Empire is the bad guy in the Star Wars franchise, and that doesn't change. It's just the characters that represent it that move around a little bit. And I think that's probably the biggest weakness there. To get back on track, I am now going to play the trailers from The Boys, and then I'm going to tell you what I think about it. People love superheroes. They swoop out of the sky and save the day. People love that cosy feeling. Big superheroes give it. I can't stop. I can't stop. I can't stop. I can't stop. Robin! My deepest condolences to Robin's family 
She just stepped in the middle of the street. I, I couldn't. She was a half step off the fucking curb. Now, come on, Huey, just uh, don't get upset. Soups lose hundreds of people each year. It's a collateral damage. It's fucking diabolical. They're all like that? All of them. Yeah. Pardon my French. Fuck those fuckers. I've got the boys together. No. Jonas. To do what? Spank the bastards. For Robin. I'm in. Lacing the shoes, I'm on the move. I got so much to prove. It's suicide to go after the soups. We can use help stuffing them. Excuse me. I'm sorry, are, are you okay? I'm fine. I'm just having a bad day. It's a work thing. I'm supposed to be this hero idol symbol, but I don't know what the hell I'm doing. She could help us. She's a soup, just on the wrist of her. You're wrong about her. Just remember who your friends and who your enemies are. They just declared war. You can't do this. You don't have the fight. You never have. This kid is full of surprises. Well, well, well. It's not, not what it looks like. I right. thought we had an understanding. I know you're trying to be tough, but we're superheroes. Who are you? So I actually read the boys comics when they came out not the whole series but because there are 72 comics in the whole series but i read the first six that were published by wildstorm entertainment the uh the comics were published between 2006 2012 so they came out fairly regularly they were created by garth ennis and derek robinson uh, written by garth ennis derek robinson was the artist who started with it and but a couple of other artists came in for later um, comics. The series is quite controversial at the time and to this day because of a few things. There's uh, a lot of violent sex in it. There's uh, a kind of funny menstrual joke, which I kind of appreciated, but maybe wouldn't have played as well in the series. And times have changed. There are things you could get away with in those days that you can't get away with now. So there were a lot of changes to it particularly the relationship between Bill Butcher, the character played by Carl Urban in the streaming series, and the director of the CIA, who's a woman. There's a, a lot of changes to that because there simply had to be. There are some changes to the story arcs for a few of the characters, including Starlight, who in the comics had, uh, well, let's not do too much of a spoiler, but say a much worse time than the bad time she had in the series. So I'll just accept that there is some variance from the original text. Uh, the story's fairly straightforward. It's a world where superheroes exist, and they've been merchandised and franchised. A big corporation called Vought American, or Vought International, controls the narrative and controls the lives of a wide range of superheroes. They use them as civic law enforcement, and they kind of um, franchise them out to various cities to be the superhero for that city. 
They also use them for product placement with a whole bunch of different products from energy drinks to movies. There are a whole bunch of movies about the superheroes as well. So there's a media saturation with these real-life superheroes to a much greater degree than we have in our own culture. Problem is, a lot of them are psychotic bastards. And we see that right at the start where Huey, played by Jack Quaid, who's the son of Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. Huey works in a computer store and he has a girlfriend called Robin and they're falling in love and they're kind of getting their life together. And they embrace on the footpath and they kind of go at arm's length to look at each other. And a superhero speedster called A-Train runs right through Robin and basically turns her into soup. It's in the trailer. Huey obviously has a hard time with that. The lawyers, lawyers turn up and offer him some money because he wasn't related to Robin. They're only offering him a certain amount of money. And Huey decides not to take it. Huey's father, by the way, in the series is played by Simon Pegg, who was the person upon whom the comic book Huey was based. Huey in the comics looks like a somewhat younger Simon Pegg. Huey meets up with Billy Butcher, the leader of the boys, who are basically a group that uh, Butcher gets together of ex-CIA guys, whose idea is to take out superheroes. And by take out, I don't mean wine and dinner. Butcher's played with a very thick Cockney accent that Jason Statham would punch him in the throat for by Carl Urban. Other people in The Boys are Mother's Milk, played by uh, Laz Alonso. He's a black guy working in his community to better things. He's retired from the CIA spy life, but Butcher brings him back in. Then we have um, Frenchie, played by Toma Capon, who in spite of his name is not French indeed, but Israeli. He's a munitions expert, ordnance, infiltration and communications kind of guy. We also have Karen Fukuhara playing the female, also known as Kamiko, who is basically Wolverine as a traumatized woman. Without the claws, but she doesn't really need them to do what she has to. Then they're going up against what's known as the Seven, which are the Seven superheroes are at the top of the hierarchy of superheroes that Void has under contract. And we get, uh, let's see, Anthony Starr playing the Homelander. Anthony Starr, uh, New Zealand actor, like Carl Urban, but he's the kind of ubermensch character. He's the blonde, evil Superman. He's the kind of guy who would take out Brightburn. He's invulnerable. He can fly. He's super strong. He can shoot lasers out of his eyes. He's, he's the whole package. He's got x-ray vision. He's got super hearing. And he's a sadistic fucker. We also have uh, Dominic McGillicott playing Queen Maeve, who's basically their equivalent of Wonder Woman. She can't fly, but she's super strong and super invulnerable. We see her stopping a runaway truck with her body in the first episode of the series. Then we have Jesse, uh, Jesse Usher playing A-Train, the speedster who kills Huey's girlfriend, Robin. And he's got a lot of problems, including some substance abuse issues, with a substance called Compound V, which makes superheroes. The other members of Seven are um, Black Noir, who about whom is he's kind of a batman figure, but we don't know much about him. He very much stays in the background for reasons which become obvious if you read the comics. Dresses in black and nobody ever sees his face. We also have a character called The Deep, who's a kind of an Aquaman manke, uh, played by Chase Crawford. He is a nasty piece of work, but descends into a spiral of his situation changing during the series. 
because they have a hero called Translucent who makes himself invisible and has diamond hard skin that can't be penetrated. And we get the newest member of the Seven, Starlight, played by Erin Moriarty, who's an innocent church girl from the Midwest who happens to have light-based superpowers and whose introduction to the Seven is a very much a Me Too moment. I'm not going to dwell too much on the comic because the series varies from it so much I'd have to explain then exactly where things vary. And it can get very complicated if you haven't read one or seen the other. So I'm just going to go basically through my ideas about it. I like the series. I think it works. I think having a gory, really kind of hard-edged superhero narrative, which can then talk and make analogies to the aforementioned Me Too movement, the corporatization of celebrity, the corporatization of people's personal images, spin and damage control at a higher level with celebrities, the growing separation of rich and poor in all of our societies. That's another very much an issue there. The way that religion has been politicized in the US and in Australia for that matter, and the downsides to doing that, and how letting other people and other organizations determine the way you view the universe and your personal philosophy is a dangerous thing and giving your money to churches may not be in your own interest so there's a lot of narrative on that throughout the series there's a lot more of some of it in the comics but a lot less of some of it in the comics as well so they do cherry pick which direction they're going to and which particular kinds of narratives and kinds of conflicts they're going to use in the series Now, the special effects are really on point. If you've got any money at all these days, there's not a reason for them not to be. There's a really good thing with a hostage crisis in a jetliner full of people where Homelander and Queen Maeve uh, basically board the plane in flight to stop the terrorists on the flight. And that's done incredibly well, not only from a dramatic point of view, but from the special effects point of view. It really does work. There's just some really, if you're into the action scenes and you're into seeing something maybe that you haven't seen before in a superhero narrative, apart from a speedster basically pulverizing a human being, you'll see it in this series. Uh, particularly toward the end, there's some really interesting and not pretty moments. Oh, the other character I haven't talked about is Madeleine Stilwell, the vice president of Void International, played by Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue gives Stilwell a really interesting character between her and, of course, and the writers and the directors and things like that. So it's a complex character. She's um, a woman who's had a child at an older age and she's still breastfeeding her baby. And in the meantime, she's got to wrangle the seven. She's the corporate head. She's the supervisor, basically, of all of these erratic, unreliable and incredibly dangerous superheroes. And so she uses lots and lots of psychological manipulation, threats of financial penalties, moving people around, doing all sorts of other bits and pieces just to keep not only these superheroes in control to some extent and to minimise the damage to the reputation of the company that they um, may well cause. But she's also got to kind of deal with her own issues and deal with the corporate higher-ups. So there's lots and lots of complexity to this character, and Elizabeth Shue does a fantastic job of it. It really is a character that feels despicable and yet lived in. 
a really big divergence between the series and the comics, and I've got to mention this one because it is quite pertinent, is in the comics, boys all dose themselves with Compound B so they get super strength and a certain amount of invulnerability as well, so it makes it less problematic to take on the Seven and other superheroes. Whereas in the series, which increases the narrative stress there, they don't have that. And I kind of like that because it means they've got to think rather than punch their way out of certain problems. And for me, that works a lot better. The thing the series does really well is it combines humour with gore and with shockingness and with horror as well. It balances those three things incredibly adeptly. I mean, there's a scene where they've got to try to figure out how to kill a superhero with invulnerable skin, and they find a way. And it's funny. And the result of it is funny. And also, because the superhero is an asshole, we don't tend to mind as much. But Frenchie finds a way to make that work. And the series works, and the lovely thing about it too is that because there are eight episodes in it, there's an episodic thing to a certain extent, we get things that are set up for Series 2 because Series 2 is going to happen. And there are some interesting arcs for various characters as a part of that, including Butcher, who at first seems to be just like a really tough Cockney bastard, but has a much more complex backstory, which is not really laid out particularly in the comics, but is expanded upon and created for the series in a way that, kind of makes him more vulnerable a lot of the character arcs in this one are either about people finding their strength or people being challenged and threatened because they're vulnerable to certain things and because of certain relationships when somebody is physically invulnerable they're not necessarily immune to pressure being applied to them through their relationships with other people we all know that from superman's secret identity and lois lane and all that other stuff but in this, it feels a lot more grounded and a lot more important and weighty than it does in other franchises. It really, yeah, there really is a sense that if you love somebody and you've got superpowers and you're really, really well known, that's an incredible point of vulnerability. And you've got to kind of manage that and keep that to yourself and find a way to live a life in spite of the existential potential existential threat to your loved ones it's ma- a main part of the narrative i mean there there are other character arcs there as well the deep has a character arc about realizing his crimes and coming to terms with them and being punished for them and kind of trying to redeem himself so there's a little bit of cancel culture in there and also somebody attempting to redeem themselves but not knowing where to do it and how to do it and not having any guidance on that at all. And that that's an interesting character arc for that one. There's also Huey's relationship with Starlight, which is kind of tentative. They both have their own secrets, her secret being the fact that she's one of the seven, to his, which Huey soon finds out, and Huey's secret that he is one of the boys and has killed one of the seven. That dynamic between Huey and Starlight really works well in the comics. The comics are are problematic from a number of ways, but one of the through lines in all 72 of the issues is that relationship between the two ingenues, in a sense. 
and both of them finding their own strengths and finding somebody with whom they don't have to be strong. And that's kind of sweet. It's the, the one saving, the big saving grace of the comic series. And I think it's going to be an interesting through line in the second series of the streaming series. And I'm looking forward to that. It's probably not going to come for another year or so. And we're going to have to wait for that. Um, I'm getting less and less patient waiting for things. But I think this one's going to be worth it. Oh, by the way, there's an extra series coming up of The Expanse. So we're going to see Series 4, which is coming up soon. And I've already seen a clip from it, which has excited me. And there's going to be Series 5. So, yeah, long-form narrative is... You know, we're in a golden age of it. A lot of people talk about golden ages of various things. But you really can't deny that as far as science fiction on the screen is concerned, and as far as these superhero narratives are concerned, we are in the sweet spot at the moment. It really is a great time to be a fan of those particular kinds of narratives, whether on the big screen or on the home screen, which can also be a big screen as well. So if you were having any doubts about checking out The Boys, maybe check out a few episodes and just see how you go. I know a number of people who I wouldn't have thought enjoyed it, would enjoy it, who have. And the comic series has put a lot of people off the narratives in there. Um, I'll give you one kind of negative spoiler about the boys, and this isn't going to ruin your enjoyment of anything. There is nowhere in the eight episodes of the first series of the boys where somebody gets raped by a bulldog. So there's that. So I'm going to take a break now. I want to get back. I'm going to talk about that fourth phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I'm going to end after the credits, which of course honour the wonderful Patreon supporters of the podcast. There's going to be a very rude, satirical political song I'm going to throw in right at the end. So wait for that. And I'll be back soon. Welcome to the age of push-button murder. A brave new world of death machines. Three of the deadliest men in the world. Programmed to kill on my command. Death Machines. Death Machines, a motion picture odyssey into a terrifying world. Men without minds, women without hope, death without reason. Death Machines, more than just a unique film experience, more horrifying than science fiction, because it's real. Death Machines, tomorrow is here, and the killers of the future are ready now. A Crown International Picture, rated R. The crew of a German U-boat and the survivors of a torpedoed merchant ship lost in the fog-shrouded South Atlantic suddenly land where no land should be, a place out of time and mind. This was the day the 20th century met the primeval world in the land that time forgot. An astounding motion picture based on the book by Edgar Rice Burroughs, creator of Tarzan, and the most thrilling science fiction stories ever written. Travel through an underwater passage and discover an awesome prehistoric world. Fight for your life against the terrifying creatures of a lost continent. Come face to face with primitive man and learn the secret of evolution. The land that time forgot. Starring Doug McClure, 
It's action, danger, and adventure on an epic scale. You will never forget the land that time forgot. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. So, Marvel announced its slate of films for Phase 4 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And fandom of various kinds went totally apeshit. Not the least because they actually listened to some of the criticisms about the stuff they're putting out and the fact that there were lots of guys called Chris in major roles in the franchise. All of those things that have been going on for the last 12 years almost. To be honest, they've kind of gone in a direction I didn't think they would. They've done the enormous Thanos Infinity Gauntlet saga which went on for 11 years, even though at first we didn't quite know it was going to be that. And I'm fairly sure that Marvel didn't either. So now in 2019, we're at uh, Phase 4. And the movies, I'm going to go through the movies first, then I'll go through the things they're putting on Disney+, Plus, the streaming service, because I think it's kind of a smart move to do both, but I'll explain that a little bit later. So 2020, on uh, we've got the Black Widow movie, which is going to be set before she... Um, had her experiences, let's say, during the Infinity Gauntlet saga. Scarlett Johansson's been playing the character of Scarlett Witch for about nearly a decade now. Iron Man 2 is in 2010. So I can understand why she might want to move on and do other things, but they're giving her her own movie just as a bit of a kind of a go-away thing. That, of course, can change because Marvel being Marvel, the... Do, do surprising things at times. They filmed the movie in May 2019. They started in Norway and the soon-to-be-not-very United Kingdom. And filming is due to finish in September. Given the fact that they're going to release it in May, that leads me to suspect that even though there's going to be a certain amount of effects work, it's not going to be the effects-heavy thing that a movie like Avengers Endgame is going to be. So they're going to be slightly lighter on that. And oh, I'll see it. That's uh, not something I'm tremendously excited and anticipating, but I do want to see how the story folds out. And of course, the Marvel PR machine's going to start ramping up, I'd say, around Christmas time, maybe a little bit later, leading up to that May release. So it's going to be May 2020 for that one. Let me see if I've got any kind of ideas about who else is going to appear in that one. So I'll get my Wikipedia machine cranked up here. Let's see. Uh, David Harbour's turning up in there as Red Guardian, who's the Russian super soldier counterpart of Captain America. Florence Pugh playing a sister figure to her. Um, Yelena Belova. Rachel Weiss is turning up as an experienced spy training young women on the same program that uh, created Black Widow. And apparently Ray Winston's going to show up as well, which would be kind of interesting. There's a bit of a idea that he's going to be Taskmaster, but I don't think so. Uh, Taskmaster is a kind of superhero who can mimic the physical moves of anyone he sees, including superheroes. So if Taskmaster's in there, it's going to make it really interesting. It's kind of a low-level power, that one, but uh, we'll see how we go, who they get to play it, and how it pans out. But Ray Winston, interesting choice. Uh, you wouldn't think, he's not the first guy you think of to go into a superhero franchise, but then probably Robert Downey Jr. wasn't in, you know, 28. 
but we'll see how we go. So Black Widow, I think that's kind of like a, a six and a half for me on the scale of, yeah, I want to see this. Let's see. Uh, blah, blah, blah. November 6th, 2020. We've got The Eternals, which they said at the um, Comic-Con San Diego announcement that they're going to basically jack Kirby the fuck out of it. That's me paraphrasing, but that's what they're going to do. So look for lots and lots of Jack Kirby kind of influenced stuff. We've got Angelina Jolie as Thena, Richard Madden as Icarus, Kamal Anjani as Kingo, Lauren Rudolph as Makari, Brian Tree Henry as Phaistos, Sam Hayek as Ajax, the leader of the Eternals, uh, Liam McHugh as Sprite, and Don Lee as Gilgamesh. I'm not familiar with the characters in the Eternals. I'm going to have to grab the comics and read them the way I just reread the boys. But, yeah, I'm kind of there. Uh, inter- again, an interesting cast. They're doing the right thing by making it a very kind of ethnically diverse cast, which is kind of going to be cool. We're probably going to get some more information about them, the way they're going to play this. Uh, the premise that we've got on uh, Wikipedia at the moment is one sentence long. The Eternals, an immortal alien race created by the Celestials, are sent to Earth to protect humans from their evil counterparts, the Deviants. Now, I know a lot of Deviants, so I think that term's going to be a bit problematic because there are a lot of people who self-identify as Deviants, and I'm fairly sure that they're not alien races. Though there can be the argument made that some of them may well be. But we'll see how we go. Maybe there's going to be a name change there. Who knows? Maybe a whole bunch of kinky people are going to go to change.org and put up a petition to change the name to something less offensive. Who knows? It's an interesting media world in which we live. So we've got that, the Div- the Eternals. Maybe there's going to be a sequel called The Deviant Strike Back. Who knows? Let's see. The one, here's the one, the next one is the one I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for since the 1970s, in fact. Because in the 1970s, in those dim, dark days before a lot of people I know who were listening were born, I was the biggest kung fu fan on the planet. I actually did some kung fu training at one stage. I saw Bruce Lee movies before they went into mainstream cinemas. I went down to Liverpool Street in Sydney where there was a Chinese cinema and saw them with really bad white subtitles that got washed out by the backgrounds a lot and were incredibly badly worded. I saw the Chinese connection that way. I saw Way of the Dragon. I saw Enter the Dragon. Uh, You couldn't, of course, rent them and you couldn't watch them on home video at all. You had to go out there and find it. And from where I lived, we're talking about a 30 or 40 kilometre trip on a train to get to see these movies. And I did. So Kung Fu fan way back. So Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I am there. Now, Simu Liu, who is playing Shang-Chi, is hitting social media big time. He's a Canadian Chinese actor. And he's charismatic as fuck. If you follow him on Twitter or any of the other platforms, he plays it like a maestro. Really uh, interesting guy, and he's going to be, here's my prediction, and making predictions about things is always a mugs game. He's going to be a big star. And Simul is a triple threat as well. He's an actor, writer, and stuntman. He's done stunt work as well. So for playing Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu, originally Shang-Chi was the son of Fu Manchu, in the comics because Marvel had the rights to Sax Roma's physical manifestation of the Yellow Peril, 
which is Fu Manchu, and I like that series uh, of comics. It works really well. They get a nice ensemble cast. There you get Sir Dennis Nail and Smith, who's been fighting Fu Manchu for 50 years. Uh, you get his uh, sidekick Petri at one stage. You get Blackjack Tara, great big muscly English, balding Englishman with a handlebar moustache. You get Clive Reston, who is the Shang-Chi part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's idea of a drunken James Bond. And there is some indication in the um, comics that Clive Reston is actually the son of James Bond. So if they're going to throw that character in, I'm even more there. But they've retconned Shang-Chi when Marvel lost the rights to Fu Manchu and the Fu Manchu thing became a lot really problematic in various Asian markets. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Having a Marvel movie where an Asian person is the protagonist is going to be really, really interesting. And, um, of course, they've got the Ten Rings in there. The Ten Rings have been in the Marvel Cinematic Universe since day one with Iron Man because the bad guys were part of the Ten Rings. And then, of course, they thought that the Mandarin was Ben Kingsley, but it turns out that Ben Kingsley wasn't that. He was a guy called Trevor Slattery acting to be the Mandarin. But there is an actual Mandarin, which is going to be very, very, very cool. And they're getting Tony Lung to play the Mandarin. That's going to be cool too. Uh, I'm wondering whether the Mandarin is actually going to be Shang-Chi's father in the way that they assembled the intellectual property in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or not. But we'll wait and see. But I am so waiting for this one. Uh, Shang-Chi developed some superpowers later in his career, apart from being the best martial artist in the world, trained from birth to be a human weapon, where he can duplicate himself and be two or three Shang-Chi's fighting, which is kind of cool. Whether Marvel will go to that straight away or whether they'll kind of bring that in later on, we'll see. But I'm kind of, this is the one that really did get me enthused with the idea of Phase 4 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I'm totally looking forward to that. It's being filmed in Australia, uh, probably Queensland, where a lot of studios are. They, they may well use Docklands Studios here in Melbourne if it's available because they may need a whole bunch of different um, locations for it. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. So 2021, I'm going to be there. My bum's going to be on the seat in February 12th. 2021 if that's when it's released in australia and i'm going to watch it and i'll probably end up talking about it on abc radio if they have me back next year and the year after which at this stage it looks like it's going to happen the other marvel tenfold tentpole not tentfold tentpole for 2021 is dr strange in the multiverse of madness scott derrickson's going to direct again and apparently it's going to be the mcu's first full-on horror movie now how much of that they're going to stick to and how much they they may kind of add a little bit of water to lighten the mix who knows but i like the idea i think it's going to be kind of cool elizabeth olsen showing up again playing scarlet witch which should be a, a bit of fun there and that one's going to be released on may 7th 2021 uh, i kind of like the first doctor strange movie and i do like benedict cumberbatch as the character i'm actually going to go back and re-watch doctor strange i think because I, I kind of enjoy the multiverse. And again, Doctor Strange is one of those characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with whom I have a long history. I did look at all the really cool Ditko artwork comics back in the day. 
and Starenko later on did some a uh, good run on them. Uh, yeah, there's a kind of blend with Doctor Strange. There's a blending of psychedelic imagery with magic and the occult, which was very much a 1960s thing at the time when the character was first developed. As the last Doctor Strange movie proves, they can do some really beautiful things with imagery these days with computer-generated graphics. There's going to be a shit ton of green screen clearly in this. But the idea of the multiverse as well, which was raised most recently apart from Avengers Endgame in Spider-Man Into the Multiverse and the possibility of there being a multiverse in Spider-Man Far From Home. So, yeah, I'm on for that one as well. I think it's going to be great. Apparently, it's going to be directly tied into the Disney Plus series WandaVision, which looks like WandaVision, but it's actually Wanda and the Vision. So we'll see how that works out, because blending a streaming service with a tentpole MCU movie is something they haven't attempted before. So we'll see how that goes. And then... 2021, let's see, in November 5th, so they're going to have three of them in 2021. It's going to be a good year for MCU movies. Thor, Love and Thunder, where Jane Foster, a.k.a. Natalie Portman, gets to wield Mjolnir, and we get the female Thor from the comics. And everybody wet themselves. It's going to be filming, by the way, in Australia as well, because... Uh, the exchange rate's working well, and our government will suck the dick of anybody to get things made or get things done in this country because we're kind of slowly getting tired of digging holes in the ground and sending the contents to other nations. These Marvel movies there also help our technicians to get the skills and the experience they need to move our film industry forward. So there are a lot of benefits to this, but the government apparently is giving them a crazy sweet deal on putting the MCU movies in there. So you can expect to see Scott Morrison being the smiling, smug, obnoxious prick that he is with various actors at various times to promote how wonderful Australian-based filmmaking is. So Thor Love and Thunder in 2021, November 5th. Love and Thunder sounds like a cocktail in a really sleazy bar, doesn't it? Let's see. And in the future beyond that, they've kind of anticipated a couple of things. First one is Blade with Mahershala Ali starring as Blade. Uh, there was a big fuss on social media when this was announced as part of the San Diego Comic-Con thing. And some people go, no, they should get Wesley Snipes to do it. Well, he's unreliable and he's in his 50s, so they're not going to get Wesley Snipes to do it. And Wesley Snipes did write a nice thing on social media congratulating Marvel and congratulating Mahershala Ali for playing the character. So there is that as well. Really fine actor. Did already appear in the Marvel Cinematic Universe playing Cottonmouth in the first season of Luke Cage. And it's going to be interesting to see how they incorporate vampires into the MCU. Is it a multiverse thing? Is it something else? We'll just have to wait and see, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, they are also talking about developing a Black Panther sequel, which they fucking well should. Then we've got Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We've got a Captain Marvel sequel, the possibility of somebody actually doing the Fantastic Four right, which I'll wait and see. Uh, a Spider-Man Far From Home sequel, which they set up beautifully in the end credit sequences of uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. We've got a possibility of an X-Men reboot as well and an Ant-Man and the Wasp sequel. 
So that's going to be kind of interesting. I, I really like what they're doing here. They're building the buzz early. They're doing that wonderful social media and PR thing that Marvel does better than anyone else in the world. And, you know, building that that anticipation, building that sizzle, building the wonderful kind of ramping up of us wanting to see these films. It's a bit like when um, Avengers Infinity Gauntlet came out and you immediately wanted to see Endgame. That kind of anticipation is something kind of weird and wonderful and interesting. So the TV series that are going to be on Disney+, Plus, they're not going to be long. There's going to be six episodes in the first one, six to eight episodes in the future ones. So they're going to be short-run series. They're not going to be like um, free-to-air television where a season runs 22 episodes. They're going to be tight, even tighter than Netflix did. Netflix averaged out about 12 or 13 episodes per season. But they're not going to do that. So you've got Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where you get the Falcon, uh, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan's Winter Soldier going together. We don't know too much about that, apart from the fact that Daniel Brühl may be turning up as Baron Zemo again, and Emily Van Camp as Sharon Carter. Disney Plus is a streaming service that hasn't even been launched yet, but we'll see what happens with it. I don't know how it's going to be in Australia, but I think it's not going to be an expensive one from what I understand, maybe 10 or 12 bucks a month here in Australia with the egregious exchange rates that we have. But it may well be worth getting, may well, yeah, it may well be worth getting for these Marvel things. So that's coming out in August 2020. So they better get their ass into gear with that one. So we've got the WandaVision one, a limited series of uh, six to eight episodes with Paul Bettany as a vision and Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda, the Scarlet Witch. Don't know too much about that apart from Tiana Paris is going to appear as Monica Rambo, the daughter of the character who was the best friend of Captain Marvel in the Captain Marvel movie, which, of course, remember, was set in the 1990s. You're going to get a six to eight episode run of Loki with Tom Hiddleston, who jumped the timeline in Avengers Endgame and kind of survived being killed because people would never forgive Marvel if they didn't. So, yeah, we'll see what's going to happen there. Then they've got Hawkeye, um, a limited series focused on Jeremy Renner's Clint Barton was in development with a pilot involving Barton passing the Medal of Hawkeye to the character Kate Bishop. Series was announced and is going to premiere late 2021. And then they're going to do the really cool thing that um, I like, which is the what if. They're going to take the Marvel Comics what if, you know, like, what if somebody else was the Hulk? What if somebody else was Spider-Man? What if Thor was a dress designer? What if Captain America was a person of colour? All those kind of things are possible. And they're going to get in uh, the actors from the MCU to do that. So they may well get Hemsworth and others in for one episode to let them slum a little bit and see what's going to happen there. So, yeah, it's going to be kind of interesting to see what they do with that. And it does give the opportunity of playing things a little bit lighter in that particular streaming format. So, yeah, that's about all. Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to this stuff. There's going to obviously be more buzz. So they're going to keep me happy for the next few years, which is always a good thing. Um, So I don't have to just watch Aquaman sequels and uh, streaming series that I tend to binge to outrageous length so yeah i'm i don't think there's anything there that 
looks like it's setting itself up to fail, and I don't think that Marvel is an organisation that would let that happen anyway. There are going to be things, of course, that are more popular than others, and I think the idea of putting WandaVision, Loki, and all those other things, Hawkeye, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier into a different format, a streaming service, yet letting those characters have their story is a good idea. I think that it's a very smart idea. Streaming services are the future of screens at home. Uh, much as I love my physical media, which is a relationship that isn't going to go away anytime soon, I think that streaming services um, putting our product and giving it to us as first run is going to only increase. And because of the economies of scale that work there, it's going to, if a streaming service costs you the price of a movie ticket a month, and it's going to be putting out interesting product month after month after month, then there's going to be that attraction to staying at home and watching that stuff. In fact, Tarantino was interviewed about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, by the way, which I haven't seen yet because it doesn't come out here in Australia for another two weeks. Fuck the tyranny of distance. But Tarantino said one of the things that they have trouble with in the, with the movies is getting people out of their homes to watch things in cinemas. They've got to give them something special. They've got to get them something... They can't see sitting on their bums at home. And that's kind of true. And it's going to be increasingly hard to do as streaming services get more dollars and start doing things like the totally unnecessary, monstrously long and expensive billion-dollar Lord of the Rings series that's being planned, amongst other things. Because it's not like we heard that story a couple of years ago. Um, Yeah, there's going to be so much stuff coming at us. It's going to be very hard to pick up on it then you've got things like the mandalorian coming out and all sorts of other stuff like that there are other franchises that we don't even know about yet that are going to end up being big either through episodic streamed video or in cinemas i mean there's a possibility of something coming out of left field and knocking everybody else on their ass there is always that possibility there because new things keep happening the stakes are high and there's a lot of money to be made doing that kind of stuff so I don't see genre media taking second place to period dramas or other things like that anytime soon. I think they're definitely going to be the flavor of the month, at least for the next decade, until something totally unanticipated turns up. Maybe movies filmed in space. That's always a possibility too, because a lot of countries are trying to get up there. And the first person to make a feature film in space with a fictional with fictional content is going to make a shit ton of money and it will happen hopefully before the, we totally fuck the planet so anyway that's it for this time around we've talked about the boys we've talked about the mcu and all the things that i hope are going to be fucking wonderful that happen with that as well so thank you for listening um i will be back next week with a paleo cinema podcast then back in two weeks with another Martian Drive-In podcast. In the meantime, thanks a lot to Rich Chamberlain in the centre of America, who is one of the Patreon supporters, who for some reason slipped off the credits at the end. Rich has been a supporter of the podcast and the YouTube channel since Jesus was playing Cowboys. And I thank him very much for that. So anyway, here are the rest of the credits, done in the style of movie credits to honour the Patreon supporters. Then you get your very rude, satirical, political song. I'll be back soon. Look after yourselves. Watch good movies. Watch bad movies. Keep watching the skies, and I'll see you soon. 
here at the Credits for Paleo Cinema podcast and Martian Driving podcast, done in a style of movie credits to honour the people who support this podcast. Thank you to Tom, the focus puller, Sarah, the special effects technician, Ian, the caterer, Grant, the Technicolor consultant, Claire, the script doctor, Gary, the prop master, Morris, the musical director, Jan, the dialect coach, Arm and our key grip, Matt, the rattlesnake wrangler, Elaine, our scientific advisor, Julia, our casting director, Chris, our camera operator, Christopher, our gaffer, Miss Jane, our wardrobe mistress, Tansy, our foley artist, Alyssa, our location scout, Mark, our second unit director, Paul, our special makeup effects director, Tammy, the donut wrangler, Tim, our New York unit director, Rabbi Steve, our spiritual advisor, uh, Steve Sullivan, our director of monster effects, Dylan, our goat wrangler, Eric, our set security lead, Richard H, our set photographer, Mark D, our extra, and David L, our extra. Kerry H, who is the accountant. And our newest supporter, Gary J, who is a CG effects technician. So thank you very much to all of the supporters of the podcast. We really appreciate you dipping into your purses and helping out with the podcast. When trying to express oneself, it's frankly quite absurd to leaf through lengthy lexicons to find the perfect word. Sure, this one's a wee bit crude, perhaps a wee bit mean. A little word that starts with C and ends with U-N-T. Boris Johnson is a cunt and everybody knows it Everywhere that posh cunt goes he has to fucking show it Brexit was his only hope and then he fucking blows it Boris Johnson is a cunt and everybody knows it I'm diddle little little I'm diddle I'm little little I'm diddle I'm diddle little I'm diddle Doctors and the NHS they all begged him to quit But what do experts matter to a top nosed eaten git The money for the NHS it was a total crop But Boris knew it all along Suck his tiny cock Oh, Boris Johnson is a cunt and everybody knows it Everywhere that posh cunt goes he has to fucking show it Brexit was his only hope and then he fucking blows it Boris Johnson is a cunt and everybody knows it I'm did little little I'm did lie 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 He travelled all around these lands and everywhere he went He'd blame our every problem on those nasty immigrants He pandered to the racists like a pound shop Donald Trump But where he wants to build our wall has Boris fucking stumped Woo! Boris Johnson is a cunt and everybody knows it Everywhere that posh cunt goes he has to fucking show it Brexit was his only hope and then he fucking blows it Boris Johnson is a cunt and everybody knows it I'm the little little I'm the lie I'm the little little I'm the lie You can say it backwards which is it knows everybody and cunt is Johnson Boris But that's going a bit too far don't you think? So when the pound is plunging quick and we've all lost our jobs Don't forget who is to blame that moped fucking slob All hail our former mayor when the whole country is broke Which country? The United Kingdom, of course Well, that's just a fucking joke So... Boris Johnson is a cunt and everybody knows it Boris Johnson is a cunt and everybody knows it Boris Johnson is a cunt and everybody knows it Boris Johnson is a cunt and everybody knows it